Hey, and thanks for taking the time to listen with us here at Gospel Way as we seek to find rest in Christ. Please know that this is supplemental and does not replace your local church or the pastor that God has given to shepherd your soul. But it is our prayer that God will use these resources to bless you and point you to Jesus. James chapter number 5. And if you have your Bibles open to James chapter number 5, we're going to be looking at verse number 13 and verse number 14 specifically this morning. But if you're looking at verse number 13 and verse number 14, you realize that we're coming close, really close, to the end of the book of James. With that being said, I'm going to give you a little idea of where we're headed next. We're going to the book of Judges. And we're going to spend several weeks in the book of Judges and looking at uh, the Judges and how they point us to Christ. And uh, looking forward to that series. I, I want to get into that, but I'm going to finish up the book of James before we get into that. So uh, we're looking forward to that study in the book of Judges, and I hope you'll uh, plan to be a part of that and enjoy that. The book of James chapter number 5 and verse number 13 and 14. In fact, let's back up and read verse number 12. We'll read verse number 12 down through the rest of the chapter, but we'll key in on verse number 13 and 14. But above all things, my brethren, swear not, neither by heaven, neither by earth, neither by any other oath, But let your yea be yea, and your nay be nay, lest ye fall into condemnation. Is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil, in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sin, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another, and pray for one another, that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. Brethren, If any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save the soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sin. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, help us that we might hear your holy word with open hearts so that we might truly understand, and understanding that we might believe, and believing that we might seek your honor and your glory 
in all that we do. This we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I want you to turn with me real quickly to the book of Psalms. Psalm 38. I know that we've already had our psalm reading this morning, but we're going to read an additional psalm, and you'll understand why in just a moment. Psalm 38, we're going to read the entirety of Psalm 38. It says here, O Lord, rebuke me not in thy wrath, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. For thine arrows strike fast in me, and thine hand passeth me sore. There is no soundness of my flesh because of thine anger. Neither is there any rest in my bones because of my sin. For mine iniquities are gone over mine head, and as an heavy burden, they are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and are corrupt because of my foolishness. I am troubled. I am bowed down greatly. I go mourning all the day long, for my loins are filled with loathsome disease, and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and sore broken. I have roared by reason of disquietness of my heart. Lord, all my desire is before thee, and my groanings is not hid from thee. My heart panteth, my strength faileth me, and for the light of mine eyes it also is gone from me. My lovers and my friends stand aloof from my sore, and my kinsmen stand afar off. They also that seek after my life lay snares for me, and they that seek my hurt speak mischief things and imagine deceit all the day long. But I, as a deaf man, heard not, and I was dumb, a dumb man that opened not his mouth. Thus I was as a man that heareth not, and in whose mouth is no reproof. For in thee, O Lord, do I hope. Thou wilt hear me, O Lord." For I said, Hear me, lest otherwise they should rejoice over me. When my foot slippeth, they might magnify themselves against me. For I am ready to halt, and the sorrow uh, is continually before me. For I will declare mine iniquity. I will be sorry for my sin. But mine enemies are lively, and they are strong. And they that hate me wrongfully are multiplied. They also that render evil for good are mine adversaries, because I follow the thing that good is. Forsake me not, O Lord, O my God. Be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord of my salvation." As we go back to the book of James, I want to ask you this question before we get started this morning. Where does James' readers find themselves? We've been in the book of James and we've been looking at the book of James. Where do we know that the readers are finding themselves? 
They're persecuted, are they not? They've been displaced. They've been taken out of what was their homes. They've been taken out of the place that they called home. And they've done, they've been taken out of that place all because of their belief and their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. All because of them following Christ. We read Psalm 38 because David found himself in the same place because he believed Christ. Because he believed the promise of God. David was a sinful man just as these that we find in James are sinful men, sinful people. Just as we find ourselves this morning, we're sinful people. But we can find hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. They were persecuted. They were the persecuted church. They were displaced refugees, if you will. As they are displaced refugees, they did not have a copy of the Word of God to carry with them. But they did have the Psalms, which they had sung, which they had learned, which they had sung over and over to themselves. And they could take those Psalms with them. That's the reason we read what we did. David talked about all of those things that he was going through, all of those displeasures that he was facing, all of the persecution that was coming his way, all of the enemies that he had. He talked about all of them. And then he said, Lord, in you is my refuge. It is in you that I find hope. That is what James is directing this group of people that he's writing to. What is the most important thing in light of these people that are under persecution? They, have, they are displaced refugees. They are, they are in the middle of a difficult time in their life. What is the most important thing that they can do? James basically covers that in this portion of scriptures. The most important thing that they can do is pray. The most important thing they can do is pray to God. And that's what James is reminding them. He is reminding them that prayer is the means through which God sustains his people. Where do you find hope most of the time? When you're in the middle of difficult times in your life, when you're in the middle of hard times in your life, where do you find the greatest hope? When you pray. I'm not talking about when we chant some, some mean of words that we may have memorized somewhere, but when we really pray, when we really come to the throne of God, when we really enter in boldly to the throne of God, where we can find help in the time of need. All of us have been there in our lives. We may not have been in persecution. We may not have been a displaced refugee, but we have been in difficult times in our life. 
Whether those difficult times were physical things that we were going through, whether they were spiritual things that we were going through, whether it were emotional things that we were going through, it is when we come to God in prayer, when we enter the throne room boldly in confidence that Christ is still on the throne, that God is still in charge, that God is still on the throne and He has control of our life. It is that place where we find hope. It is that place where we find that hope and that security in the Lord Jesus Christ. James is reminding them to pray. James is reminding the persecuted Christians that God has heard their cries and that He continues to hear their cries. And then he stands ready to help in a time of need. All they need to do is ask. All they need to do is ask. What did, what did God tell us in another place in the scriptures? He told us in the book of Matthew, you have not because you asked not. He's not saying that he's withholding, waiting on us to ask. It is when we ask that we have that desire to see God do something. And we look for God to do something. God is not withholding from us. It is when we get to that point that we turn to God. And we can see God do something in our life. After reminding his, lead, uh, his readers that Jesus' return is imminent and that God's judgment is at hand on those who have persecuted God's people. Is that not what James has just got through telling them? He's just got through talking to them because they were a persecuted church. These people are, are displaced. They're in a place that is not their home they are depending on others for their livelihood. They have gone into fields where people have, have hired them to, to reap their fields. And those people that have hired them are not even paying them what they said they would pay them. They're displaced. And then they're being cheated. And James is reminding them in the middle of all of this, Christ's return is imminent. You say that was in James' day. In our day, can I tell you this morning, Christ's return is imminent. You say, how can you say that? I can say that because what is your life but a vapor that appeareth for a short time and then vanisheth away? Christ's return is imminent. He's going to return. He's going to take back this earth. He's going to set up that new Eden, if you will. And we're going to be there and rule and reign with Him. But understand this, in the scheme of everything, in the scheme of eternity... Christ's return is imminent. It was imminent in James' day. It's imminent in our day. And understand, if His return is imminent, and it is, then the judgment that God is going to pass on those who have persecuted His people is imminent also. 
James is telling them, find patience in knowing that Christ is not going to let this go. Christ is not going to let this go. Believers can count sure they can surely count upon the Lord's compassion and his mercy to sustain them in the middle of their trials. And you and I this morning, we can count on God to be merciful. We can count on God to be gracious. We can count on God to be compassionate and sustain us in the middle of our trials. We backed up and we read verse number 12 because many times in many places, verse number 12 People can't figure out whether that goes with what went previous or whether it goes with what comes after. Without giving you all of the arguments this morning, I'm going to tell you that I believe it goes with what was previous. He just got through telling them to hold on with patience. He just got through telling them to wait with patience. And he's telling them in light of you waiting while and being patient on the return of the Lord. He said, no need to swear oaths. Just let your yeas be yeas and your nays be nays. He's saying that as we walk with God, as we listen to God, as we obey God, that our life should be in such a way that people look at us and they see Christ in and through us and they see us resting in the Lord Jesus Christ. And what we say, we shouldn't have to swear an oath again to say that what we're saying is real. Why? Because we're living what we're saying. That's what James was telling them. So James opens up this final section of the book of James, this final section that he's going to cover, and he begins covering it with the matter of prayer. He opens up this final section, which is an exhortation for Christians to see the power of God during difficult times. And they see the power of God during difficult times through prayer, especially in that which regards the matters related to personal health and physical living. Consider the circumstances under which James is writing. His audience is destitute. They're struggling to get by. They're they're in hard times, if you will. The daily troubles faced by the persecuted Christian refugees would take a great toll on both their body and their emotions. So you see why James is saying what he's saying? You see why they are where they are? This this struggle that they're going through These hard times that they're going through, these difficulties that they're going through is taking a great toll on their bodies, both physically and emotionally. Have you had things in your life 
Are you going through things in your life that are taking a great toll on you both emotionally and physically and spiritually in your life? James is reminding us when you're going through those times, pray. Why? Because God ever hears the prayers of his own. Be encouraged. He hears your prayers. This audience is destitute. They're in great toll. And as they are, it is taking a toll on their body and on their soul. Those to whom James is writing needs to be reminded of the great power of God to accomplish the things that they're wanting to see done. So James asks a critical question when we come to verse number 13. He said, Is there any among you that is afflicted? That word afflicted means suffering. It means enduring hardship. Are there any among you that are suffering? Are there any among you that are experiencing hardship? James is asking a rhetorical question. He knows that they're facing hardships. He knows that they're facing difficulties. And he's telling them what the answer to that is as they're facing those difficult times. He said, is there any among you that are afflicted, any among you that are suffering, that are enduring hardships? The focus is not so much on the physical suffering, although physical suffering is certainly a part of what he's saying, but it includes physical illness and emotional distress as they're going through what they're going through. The obvious answer to this rhetorical question that James is asking is yes. What does he say? Is there any among you that are afflicted? What's the answer? Let him pray. Let him pray. Why? Because God ever loveth you. And God wants what's good for you and what's His glory. Ever pray in the midst of these times? The answer is yes. He says to pray. James is not instructing people to petition God to remove their various trials. Rather, he's instructing them to ask God to grant them the necessity or the things that are necessary for them to see God in the midst of the trial. I'm not saying that we don't pray that God take it away, but let me say this. There are those that we've seen in the Word of God. Paul is one of them. He beseeched God three times for God to take his thorn away. What did God tell him? He said, my grace is sufficient. What is God wanting us to see? In the middle of our trying times, in the middle of our difficult times, we don't want to go through them. I've had them. I've been in them. I've been through them. 
I don't want to go back to another one. But I know that if I continue to live, I will face trials. I will face difficulties. Some stronger than others. Some more difficult than others. What is God saying in the midst of those pray? What is He saying? He's saying, I want you to turn to me. I want you to see me. God is saying, look at me. <laughs> Rowan, several times when he would, he would come over at the house and I'd be sitting in my recliner and he'd climb up on my lap and he'd be talking to me and I'm not paying him any attention. Brother Charles, he would put one hand on one cheek and one hand on the other cheek and he would turn Papa's head and say, look at me. That's what God's doing in the midst of our trials. God's putting His loving, tender hands on our head and saying, look at me. I will take care of you. I'll help you in the middle of these trials. Our prayer is that God will help us gain the right attitude so that we can trust in His purposes Trust in His will. Trust in what He is directing our lives in. While many of James' readers were enduring very difficult hardships, many of them in the middle of those hardships had peace. How could this one in this hardship be suffering sicknesses and ailments. And this one in the same hardship have peace. You say, how do you know that? Look at what he says in verse number 13. He said, "If there are any, is there any among you that are afflicted? If there are, let him pray. In that same, in that same section, he said, is any merry? Let him sing psalms. <laughs> All of that, whether it is the singing of the psalms or whether it's praying, who is it pointing toward? Who is God pointing our attention toward? He's pointing our attention to Him. He said, let him sing psalms. If we don't understand verse number 13, we will never rightly understand verse number 14. Verse number 14 is probably one of the most distorted verses in the Word of God or in the New Testament. Why? Because it is taken by some and it is pulled out of this section and it's taken over here and it's said to be meaning something that it does not mean. Look at what he's telling us in verse number 13. And I've said this over and over as we've gone through the book of James and as we've gone through other books. And I'm going to say it again this morning. These chapters and verses were not in James' letter when they got the letter. 
So they didn't stop off at chapter number, uh, verse number 13 and say, well, well, we'll see what this one says and now we're going to see what this... Look at what verse number 14 says in light of verse number 13. Is any among you... Is, is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any merry? Let him sing. Is any sick among you? What did we say afflicted was? Afflicted deals with, with that, that, uh, that circumstance that they found themselves in. It, it had to deal with them uh, having enduring hardships and them suffering in the midst of those hardships. We come to verse number 14 and he said, Is there any sick among you? Those that were in the middle of those hardships had gotten to the point that it had made them sick. Have you ever heard the term being sick and tired of being sick and tired? They, they had literally gotten sick. They had physically gotten sick because of the circumstances they were going through. Don't we know people if we if we have not been in that situation ourselves? Do we not know people that have gotten in a situation at a difficult hardship and a difficult time in their life and it affected their physical body? It, affect, it affected their emotions. He's telling them here, he said, is any sick among you? Talking about those that are so sick that it has affected their physical being, it has affected their, their, their mental being, it has affected their emotional being, is there any sick among you? He's telling them here, he said, is there any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. Again, the emphasis here is what? It's prayer. Why is the emphasis prayer? Because prayer is going to direct our focus. It's going to direct our focus back to Christ. He said, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. As we look at this verse of Scripture, as we understand this verse of Scripture, he's just told them, he said, if there's any afflicted, let him pray. If there's any merry, let them sing. Is there any sick among you? It, are there those that this circumstance has gotten them so to the point that they almost cannot get out of bed? You say, how do you know that? Because he said, let them call for the elders. Mm -hmm. it, it, they're, they're not going to the elders. They're asking the elders to come to them. They have gotten so to the point that they cannot function because of the difficulties that they're going through. So they're calling for those within the church that can pray. Those that can pray for them. So they're calling the elders to come and calling the elders to come and do what? Pray. Is there any sick among you? Let them call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. 
Can I just give you a spoiler alert? We're not in this thing by ourselves. We shouldn't act like we're in this thing by ourselves. We are to, what are, what are we instructed as the children of God? What are we to do? We are to bear one another's burdens, are we not? Are we not to help carry one another? Are we not to be encouraged as we come together on Sunday mornings? Are we not to be encouraged around the things of God? Are we not encouraged by praying? Are we not encouraged by singing? Are we not encouraged by the preaching of the Word of God? Are we not encouraged by the reading of the Word of God? That's what we're here for. And if there are some that get to the point to where they cannot come, we're to go to them and encourage them that God's still on the throne, that God's still in charge, that the return of Christ is imminent, that the, 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 the judgment of God is imminent, that God is in control, that God's in, uh, that it is going to handle all things. He's telling them to pray. He's telling them to praise. This, this cycle of prayer and praise is something that ought to be a characteristic of every child of God's life. We pray and we praise and we pray and we praise. We, we get in trouble and we pray and we praise. That is the cycle of our life. We pray and God delivers and we praise Him. Or we pray and God gives us the peace of God in the midst of our trials and we praise Him. God does not always deliver, but God still in the midst of not delivering, He still delivers. Because He gives us that peace, that understanding of what we're going through. He said, if there's any sick among you, let him call for the elders and let them pray for him. This anointing with oil. When we look at it, there are understanding that when we look at this sick, when he said, is there any sick among you? This sick is conditions including but not limited to these things. It's talking about mental abilities. You can find that in Romans chapter 6 and verse number 19. He's dealing with spiritual conditions. You can find that in Romans chapter 5 and verse number 6. He's dealing with physical appearances. You can find that in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 10. He's not just dealing with one particular sickness. He's dealing with all of these things. Mental abilities, spiritual conditions, physical appearances. The Word has a sense of being weak. What did, what did Paul say about his suffering? He said, when I was weak, he was made strong. Why does God allow his children to suffer sometimes? Because in our being weak, he is made strong. He's made strong in our individual lives. Why? Because we cling to him. Where if we, how many of us 
How many of us, when everything is going great, we have the money in the bank, all the cars are running fine, all the equipment's running fine, all the job's going great, there's no problems anywhere. How many of us run to God in the middle of that? We don't. Guilty? We just don't. Because everything's good. But when things turn south, we run to God. In our weakness, He's made strong. When in reality, He's strong all the time. But in our point of view, in the way we see things, it is in our weakness that He's made strong. God doesn't change. God wasn't weak at one point and strong at another point. It's the way we view things. It's the same way. That's what James is telling them. It's the way you're looking at what you're going through. If you see that weakness and you turn to God and you pray and you praise and you look to God, then you see His strength and you see your weakness. When James asks, is there any sick among you? He is speaking of the effects of the persecution that they're going through, the difficult times that they're going through, and what this toil is having on their body, the emotional distresses. Notice, as I've already said, that sick person is not coming to the elders. The elders are going to them. What, what another place in Scripture, what does it tell us? Those that are weaker, what's to happen? Those that are stronger to lift them up. Is that not what we're instructed to do? If we see those around us that are suffering, they're going through things, they're facing things, let us who are in the middle of good times be an encouragement to those that are in the middle of hard times. Because it may be that that person that is going through hard times now, when you're in the middle of hard times next time, they might be the one encouraging you. Not for that reason, but we're in this thing together. We're in this walk for Christ together. Whatever James tells us about prayer and healing the context in which these things should take place is the local church. It's the body of believers. We need to cling to one another. Even if it's a phone call, my day's not going good. I need your prayer. <laughs> I can't help but to think about And this is kind of comical, and I'll, I'll tell you this, but it, it, it leads into what I'm, what I'm trying to say there, there's a lady and she has a child and this child's standing up on the pew and walking back and forth and she pops his little leg and sits him down but he gets back up and he's crawling back and forth and, and she sits him down again and he gets back up and he's climbing back and forth and he actually this time falls over into the pew behind him. She picks up the child and puts him across her shoulder and she starts walking out the back door and as she's walking out the back door, where is that child facing? That child's facing the preacher. 
And the child says, could somebody please pray for me? He knows he's in trouble. He needs somebody to pray for him. Maybe there's a time, Brother Charles, we got to pick up the phone and say, could somebody please pray for me? Could somebody please pray for me? I'm going through a hard time in my life. I'm going through a difficult time. You don't have to give everybody everything that's going on, but you can say, could you please pray for me? You don't even have to talk to them on the phone in the day we're living in. You can send a text. Could somebody please pray for me? Why? Because that'll turn us to God. It turns your heart going through the middle of the things you're going through. It turns you to God. And it turns that person you're asking to pray for you. It turns them toward God. It turns everybody toward God. And our eyes are focused where they need to be focused. Could someone please pray for me? He's presenting to them their physical weakness. Their sickness, they're too weak. They're asking for this prayer. Those that come around them and pray for them. When they when someone, when someone genuinely asks you to pray for them and you feel their pain, are you gonna pray nonchalantly? No. You're gonna feel their pain. You're gonna bear their burden. And you're going to pray to God as if it were yourself. That's what God's trying to get us to see. To lean on one another. So what are we to make of this exhortation where we're to call the elders to anoint the sick with with oil and to pray? There's four main suggestions, if you will, about this matter of oil. One is that it is a medical purpose. Oil was often poured over wounds and other injuries. Some see the oil as an outward sign, just as Jesus used mud and spittle and other tangible things as He healed in the New Testament. Some see it as a sacramental purpose, that the oil is something that is a sacrament, this is definitely wrong. That there's no significance in that oil. There's nothing that that oil does. What is he telling us? It is the prayers that make the difference. Some see it as anointing with oil as symbolic of the consec- of consecrating something. Without going through all of the arguments, I would tend to consider the last one. That as anointing with oil, you're consecrating, you, you're, you're, you're holding them up before God. And you're saying, you're asking God to do something. Let's not miss the forest for the trees. What is the key thing that James is dealing with here? It's not necessarily the anointing with oil. What he's dealing with here is prayer. He's dealing with prayer over those 
that are in the middle of difficult times in their life. A prayer offered in faith is not a mantra. It's not a demand. It's simply, humbly asking God for what we need. With the knowledge that God is always faithful to do what is good for you and will bring Him glory. Is that not what He told us? It's for our good and His glory. So as we call on one another to pray for each other, a prayer offered in faith is not a mantra. It's not a demand, but it's simply humbling ourselves before God and asking for what we need. I may not need it right now, but you may. Tomorrow, you may not need it, but I may. We're instructed as the children of God to lift each other up in prayer. Let's do so. And those that may be weak, weak in faith, weak in emotion, weak spiritually, weak physically, let's pray for one another. Let's pray humbly asking God for what we need because He is faithful. And whether it is the one in need of prayer or the one praying, it's going to turn our faces toward God. Let's pray.